wonderful. The prime directive, how many of you are familiar with that term if I say the prime directives, directive? Oh, come, come now. Admit it. Star Trek? Ah. <laughs> the prime directive, okay, and then I have to educate you now. Also known as Starfleet General Order 1 or the Non-Interference Directive was the embodiment of one of Starfleet's most important ethical principles, non-interference with other cultures and civilizations. Wow, I like that. At its core was the philosophical concept that covered personnel should refrain from interfering in the natural, unassisted development of societies, even if such interference was non-intentional or well-intentioned. The prime directive was viewed as so fundamental to Starfleet that officers swore to uphold it even at the cost of their own life or the lives of their crew. So if Captain Kirk and the landing party beamed down to the planet surface, as they did every, every single episode of the old Star Trek, they could not interfere with the development of the culture on the planet. Or, worse yet, if they were to go back in time, or I suppose forward in time, they couldn't interfere with cultures. That was their prime directive. They were going to explore, not to change and reshape cultures and civilizations. Jesus' prime directive was exactly the opposite. Intentional interference with Earth's culture so as to rescue humanity and indeed all of creation from the curse of sin and the sentence of death. To bring a completely alien kingdom to earth by bringing his rule and reign through a person first and then a people. King Jesus inaugurated this kingdom through his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. A people indwelt by his spirit who embody his kingdom values and mission His kingdom values and mission would advance the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever God's people go and spread the rule of Jesus on this earth, there is the kingdom of God. Jesus' prime directive, completely interfere with our cultures and societies. Redeem humanity and all of creation by bringing the kingdom of God to earth. That's the prime directive of Jesus. So, What I want you to know through this message today and through really the last four weeks before this was that God wants you to be an active, living, integrated part of his kingdom. We do not sit as bystanders watching the show or watching the game, but we're we're incorporated together as a body of believers intent on building the kingdom following King Jesus. So last week we've been talking about the way of Jesus. Uh, Over the last five weeks now, including today, the way of Jesus is the way of love. Uh, In the first service, and Rebecca's going to come back up here uh, toward the end of the service, but in the first one she talked about living a life of love. And and my my ears peaked up because that's, that's the theme. That's the theme of the entire Bible, living a life of love and, and God going first, living that life of love through redeeming mankind through Jesus Christ. The way of Jesus is the way of prayer. The way of remember he prayed just as easily as he breathed. It's it's just hanging out with God. It's being 
with God. It's recognizing God's presence. In fact, prayer isn't always verbal. And many prayers are never spoken, but they're from our heart to God's heart. The way of Jesus is the way of service. And the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, which identified that service as self-sacrificial service. Service that says, I'm putting you first. You're going to be first, and I'm going to serve you. And that was the way of Jesus. And this week, the way of Jesus is the way of the kingdom. I think in too many evangelical churches, the kingdom is never talked about or rarely discussed. Or if it is, it's just kind of a, of a side issue. And, and Jesus was all about the kingdom. In fact, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the teaching about the kingdom was Jesus. Uh, it was his most pervasive teaching. It's what he talked about the most. It was his number one topic was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, used somewhat interchangeably. So let's look at just a couple passages in the Gospels because after the Gospels, Paul referred to it just a little bit, um, uh, Peter a little bit, but, but not as much, not as much as Jesus when he talked about the kingdom. After all, he was the king who showed up. So Matthew chapter 4, right after the... the uh, Verses 1 through 4, which talk about the temptation of Christ. And after it talks about John the Baptist, his cousin, being taken and put in prison. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. It is, by the way, the, the, the message that John the Baptist started with. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Literally, it's, it's at hand. It's here. It's being offered. The kingdom of heaven is, is being offered. In Mark, Mark gets into it right away in chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus in Galilee, you've got Judea where Jerusalem is and Bethlehem even uh, uh, a, little, a little south of there, and then you've got Samaria, and then you've got Galilee up to the north. So Jesus is far away from the temple, far away from the beating heart of the Jewish uh, religious system when he begins to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, this was before he went to the cross. This was before the resurrection. This was before Matthew 28 where he told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. Before that, he said, repent and believe the good news. What was the good news? Well, if Jesus was speaking it, it was good news because Jesus himself was good news. And his good news was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did that mean? What should a keen observer in Israel know when, when somebody like Jesus would come? I mean, if you were really thinking and all prayed up and you were close to God and somebody came and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that could be the king. That could be the king. That could be the Messiah who's come back. In Luke chapter 4, we looked at this numerous times when we went through Luke earlier in the calendar year. In verse 16 of chapter 4, Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. 
he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, think about it just for a minute, that Jesus, the Son of God, he's, he's at church, and he's going to stand up to read, and the attendant hands him what to read, and he hands him the scroll from Isaiah. It was probably on the docket for that Sabbath day, and Jesus took it, and he read it. He stood up to read. It was handed to him, unscro- unrolling it. He unscrolling it, too. He found the place where it is written. And here's the place. In Isaiah 60 or 61, I think it's 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as Jesus was reading it, the people were there, and I don't know if maybe Jesus read it in a little different fashion than normal humans, and they were maybe perked up, but maybe not. Maybe those who were there every Sabbath day were just listening, and this was just the reading of Isaiah, just another book of the law, another book in the Old Testament, one of the prophets. But then he said this. He said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they were like, say what? This, what? What did, he, what did he just say? And he's, you know, maybe going on. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. To any keen observer, they might have thought that he said that, like, he might be the one who was coming to proclaim good news to the poor and to set the captives free. Later on in Luke chapter 4, after he left Nazareth, he went to Capernaum. He had some, he had some dealings there, and, and then overnight he came into the next morning, and his disciples came and were wake. Were, actually, I think, where was it? I think he was out. Now I don't have the context here, but he was out praying, and his disciples came to them and said, hey, everyone's, everyone's looking for you. They want you. And he says, no, no, I, I can't. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. We're, we're getting out of here. Because that is why I was sent. Why was he sent? To proclaim the good news of what? Of the kingdom of God. Not the good news of the gospel of Jesus or the good news of getting saved or the good news of going to heaven when I die, but the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God over and over. And in the gospels there's a section where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes into a field and he, and he finds this pearl of great price. And he, and he hides the pearl and he goes out and he sells everything he has and he buys the field. And now the pearl is his. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And on and on. He gives all these examples, all these mini metaphors of what the kingdom of heaven is like, trying to get the people to understand what the kingdom of heaven was like. Because it's like, well, you know, we know what heaven is, and we know what, who Jesus is, and we know we're on the earth, and, but, but what's the kingdom of God? It's like ethereal, it's like general. What is it? In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. Who? Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are not beating their chest because they're all, you know, they're all that. But those who are beating their chest saying, woe is me, a sinner. 
I'm unclean. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, you know this passage. So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? Like, tangibly, like, how do you, is it hiding? Like, can we not find it? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Later on in Luke, Jesus says something that's very revealing, very telling. In chapter 17, says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, a keen observer, right, would say, what does he mean by the kingdom of God is in our midst? Maybe because I'm here, because the king is here, the kingdom must be here. This is where the king is. What did Jesus say at the end of, uh, oh, I don't know which book now, but he said, hey, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that the Father would send another advocate, another comforter. He will be with you and in you. Later on, Paul describes him one time as the Spirit of Christ. So Christ is in us, and he's with us. In fact, somewhere, doesn't it say somewhere in the New Testament that we're the body of Christ? A couple places, right? We are the body of Christ. So Jesus said... The kingdom of heaven, it's, uh, it's, it's in your midst. I'm here. And where the king is, there is the kingdom. And where his body is, there he is spreading the kingdom throughout the world. I like how Kevin Livermore spoke about the kingdom of God. And it's fancier because he put pictures and music to it. So take a listen to this. He, he says it well. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God more than any other topic. The kingdom of God is simply the reign of God. Wherever God exercises his sovereignty, dominion, influence, and power. The Hebrew word for kingdom in the Old Testament and its Greek equivalent in the New Testament simply mean the rule or reign of something. For example, in the Old Testament book of Psalms, we read, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all. The Lord has established his kingdom in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. So, when Jesus says in the New Testament, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is telling his followers to pray that God will exercise his authority and his power in this world so that his purposes and plans are accomplished in and through his people. There is so much more to the kingdom of God than just that though. During his ministry, Jesus told the religious leaders, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, Jesus was saying, God, the king of all, is here, breaking into this reality right now. See, since Jesus was present, the kingdom of God was present there among them at that very moment. The kingdom of God also means God has become king, not Caesar or any other political or religious leader. 
See, Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save us from our sins so we could go to heaven when we die, but he dies as the king of the Jews and brings a triumphant conclusion to the long story of Yahweh's victory over the powers of sin and death. So, the atonement work of Jesus is actually pointing us to a greater future of new covenant and new creation, which is the inauguration of the kingdom of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, we are not just saved to live with God forever after we die, but God saves us in order to work through us. Revelation says we will rule and reign in heaven, and God calls us to start that work in the here and now. God wants His world to be ruled by humble, forgiven sinners who love Him more than anything else. So the kingdom of God is present wherever we bring Jesus to people through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. See, God wants to renew and redeem people so they can then go and renew and redeem others. So we live in this now and not yet period of time where the kingdom of God has been launched in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but it has not yet been fully consummated when heaven and earth are joined together in a glorious marriage, so to speak, as Revelation says. See, since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the church has continued God's kingdom-building project with the help of His Holy Spirit. And we must continue this project by praying and acting on the ultimate prayer Jesus Himself taught us to pray, that His kingdom would come and His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God will finish this great task when Jesus returns to the earth to make all things new. And that is when the kingdom of God will be fully completed on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Kevin. So let's just say a few more things about the kingdom. Number one, it is about the reign of a king. So a king sits on a throne and he has authority. He's known in the UK as the monarch, right, and in other places. Uh, as a monarch, as one who rules. But what if the followers don't want to follow? What if his subjects in his kingdom don't want to do what the king wants them to do? See, we're part of a kingdom, and the kingdom of God is about the reign of a king. And so understanding the kingdom can never be separated from understanding who Jesus is. Because the kingdom has a name and a face to it, and that is Jesus Christ. So you really can't separate out the kingdom from Jesus. So in the same way, if you follow Jesus, you can't think that you're not part of his kingdom. And again, because he indwells in us, we are the body of Christ. Where we are, his rule and reign is advanced and established. And we have the opportunity, as he calls all of us, to follow him in a surrender of our lives to his kingly authority. So, you have to ask the question. What part of your life, what part of my life, is not surrendered to the kingship of King Jesus? That's not a guilt or shame question. That's a service question because Jesus, thankfully, he doesn't guilt and shame us because he took our guilt and shame on himself and he paid for it and he gives us freedom. He gives us forgiveness. So we serve out of gratefulness and out of opportunity because we get to. And we want all of our life to be surrendered to the authority of the king in whom we say we are committed to.
And the kingdom of God, is more, it is more than just heaven when you die. And many of you, probably like me, you were brought up thinking that when you get saved, when you trust in Jesus, now the most important thing about that is that when I die, I can go to heaven. I don't know if that's most important. It's just important with everything else that, that now I become part of the family of God. So we should see our lives as a part of God's larger work on earth and that we can be a productive part of the kingdom. And God wants us to be productive parts of the kingdom because a few weeks ago I said, tag your it, right? Jesus left, but he didn't leave. He's not here anymore, but he's still here. He went up to heaven, but his body is on the earth. And he wants to advance his kingdom through us. And that's today, that's now, that's not when we die, so that every aspect of our lives, our work, our play, our friendships, our family, they're all a part of God's present, real, and active rule in the world. So Christ's call to be a part of his kingdom, it's not just like this momentary decision that I prayed and now I'm a Christian and and it's all good, and because of grace, I can live however I want to. I, I don't think any of us really has that intention. But consider this. When somebody gets adopted, so I have, an, uh, I have a daughter who adopted a little girl. And at some point, that adoption becomes like official. Usually after you even take the kid into your home, the kid, right? The precious child into your home, right? You, they're adopted. And sometimes on Facebook, you see these cool pictures of the, of the adoptive parents and the adopted child, and the judge in the chambers, and they've just signed all the papers, and it's official. The kid is a part of the family. The kid has the the family's last name. They're adopted into the family. Now, imagine if at that moment that was the end of it. Okay, you're part of the family. Well, get in the back seat. You know, you drive home. There's your room. Keep it clean. And then the parents go about their business. It's not at all like that. If a child gets adopted into a family, there is a huge life implication beyond the moment of adoption. Their entire life will be different because they're a part of that family. Who has somebody in their family, either yourself or somebody else or a relative that you know that has someone adopted into their family? How many of you? Look at them all, right? And it makes a difference, right? They become part of the family. That has implications, that has privileges, that has opportunities. In the same way, when we step into God's family, we have opportunities, we have privileges, we have responsibilities, we have blessings. We become a part of something bigger than we were. Once we were not a people, right, over here, no family, but now you're part of the family of God. So in the same way, Becoming a believer is becoming part of a grand kingdom experiment where God is redeeming the world through his people. Um, The next one says kingdom, community, and person. And I'm just going to give this one just two seconds. In our individualistic culture, we often think, well, it's the person who comes to Jesus, and then they become part of a church, and then that church is part of the big C church, 
if it ever even, the kingdom is ever stated. In, in the scriptures and in, and in the divine plan, you've got God the king who has a kingdom and is building a kingdom. And the kingdom, it starts there. And then you have a community of people that are a part of that kingdom. And then you've got individuals who are part of the community and they're blessed because of it. And they find their identity not just in Christ alone over here, but they find their identity in Christ the King. They're part of a kingdom and they're part of a community. And then they're over here because we all have individual bodies. But the, but the individual person is not the focus. The focus is on the kingdom and the community of believers of God's people. Next, we experience the kingdom. It's not just intellectual learning. The kingdom of God is not just something to be taught or to be learned or to memorize some specific doctrine or teaching. The kingdom of God is to be experienced. We have the king inside of us. We follow the king. We're a part of the kingdom. And we have to live out the values and the teachings of the king. In this case, King Jesus. We have to do that. Inasmuch as we don't, we deny the kingdom we're a part of. We deny the family that we're a part of. We deny the transformation, the regeneration, the new birth that happened when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He brought us into his family not to just sit, but to be a part, to experience something bigger. So when somebody like the Ness family, they send Rebecca or our church supports and and prays for and says goodbye to Rebecca, she goes to South Africa like she's, well, you said it in the first service, um, but the kingdom is the common denominator between here and the group that's in South Africa. Jesus, the king, is the common denominator that binds us together. We're worshiping and serving the same king. And so when she goes there, if they have the king's values, and if she has the king's values, when they come together, they have the same values because they're part of a bigger kingdom. So it's experience, it's not something that's just known. And then it's 100% already, well, still not yet. In other words, the kingdom of God is often referred to as the, as the, the, the already, but the not yet. Jesus came and he, he began his kingdom here with his death, his burial, his resurrection. His followers got, got together They formed the body of Christ, the early church. It's gone on for 2,000 years. It's already been happening where his body goes and where his values are spread and where his Holy Spirit and power is spread. There the kingdom goes. But it's not yet in that it's not yet fully consummated and fully fulfilled because that won't be until Jesus comes, judges what he's going to judge, and then the earth The earth is the Lord's, right? And the fullness thereof. There are no more sheep and goats. There are no more believers and unbelievers. We're all following King Jesus on the new heaven and the new earth. That's the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. But we're 100% already in it. We're already a part of it. So think of the second coming as the time when everyone who will be adopted into his family has been adopted. Everyone who will come in are in That's when Jesus comes and he comes on the ground and he's the king over the kingdom. So we're not just waiting on a future kingdom, not yet here. We already live in the kingdom rule of Christ. So having said that, look in the mirror 
I'll look in the mirror, you look in the mirror, and ask ourselves the question, am I following the king? Do I have a king? Or, or if I looked at my articles of incorporation of my life, oh, wait a minute, my name is there where it says king. Because you know what? In our culture, here in America, who's the king of our life? The individual. We have freedom, right? We have a great country. We have freedom and responsibility. We have bootstraps that we're supposed to yank on. We're, we're supposed to be responsible and we're supposed to be able and capable. That's not really kingdom culture, though. Kingdom culture says we're interdependent. Kingdom culture means we're all important and we have a king that we follow and we're humble and we have to sometimes give up our freedom. So that's culture stuff. And always, 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 we're going to be swimming upstream against our culture. Um, We have a great country. We have great freedom in our country for which we are extremely thankful in many ways, we may have the freest land that's ever been on the earth. And Jesus, or, or Paul said in Galatians, that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But Jesus said that freedom is not to be used for ourselves, but is to be used for others. And too often in our culture, our cultural, our current cultural interpretation of that freedom is that we're most important, we need to get what we want, we're number one, and all that. But the best, the, in the, the best picture of our culture is perhaps when that plane lay, lands at uh, Dover Air Base, right? And the caskets come off. And you see people, you see uh, men or women who've given their lives for what they believe is to make other people free. That's like the best picture. The best picture is when you see a little girl who's got leukemia and she decides that she wants to help all the other kids who are sick and she has this fundraiser in her town and she raises tens of thousands of dollars and helps so many other little kids. You know, she had the freedom to do that. And in this country, she had the the ability and the capacity and the support system to do that. That's one of the best pictures of this country. It's when on the, on the, in the courthouse when those families are there and they give up the freedom of not having to take care of this kid who may even have physical difficulties and needs, is definitely going to have some challenges. They give up that freedom because they have the freedom to bring that kid into their family and they do it unselfishly, graciously, generously. That's, that's the best part. Those are the best, some of the best pictures of our country. And those pictures also happen all around the world because that's called kingdom freedom, freedom that Jesus gives and Jesus brings for us to do those things that do not put ourselves first but that put others first. Rebecca Ness, come on back up and join me. Rebecca has been in a different culture for a whole year so I told her, I'm talking about kingdom that Sunday, so would you join me and, and would you answer some questions? I threw you some curveballs in the first service, didn't I? <laughs> you did. I, I'm going to try to stay on my notes here. No, it's okay. Let me, so 10,000 Homes is the name of this organization you're with. Yes. How is 10,000 Homes bringing the kingdom of God to, is it something river? 
White River. White River mm-hmm. to, to that area. How is that happening? Um, so we first, one of the things that we believe as an organization is that first of all, it's important that we be bringing the kingdom and living out kingdom values as a staff because if we're not doing that as a staff, we can't take that to the surrounding area. And so it really starts with um, being very intentional about um, yeah, living out those values together, which it doesn't always look very pretty, but <laughs> it sometimes doesn't come in a nice package because it requires accountability and um, lo- loving each other in a way that sometimes is hard. Um, and in being intentional about calling things out in each other, like good things, um, and then also intentional times of worship and um, corporate prayer and stuff. So, so, so in your staff group, there at 10,000 Homes, mm-hmm. there's been some static, and there's been some interpersonal dissonance, yes. right? And um, they're from different, how many different countries are represented? As of right now, there's about three different countries represented. Okay, so South Africa? South Africa, USA, and Brazil. And Brazil. I mean, Brazil and South Africa are probably close to the same, right? (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) So you got North America, South America, and Africa working together on a team, maybe showing each other first Mm -hmm. that the kingdom can work from different cultures. Yes, that's very true. So... Um, so yeah, then after we have been able, or like after we practice that as a staff, we're then able to take that, um, out to the area that we work in. So, um, bringing the kingdom looks like living out those values then at, through our after school programs and, um, showing love and creating a place where people can experience the love of God, um, in a very tangible way and in investing in local leaders and giving them and the discipleship and being able to, then allow them to go out into their communities and take Christ to their area. Um, and then also, to even just with teams that we have coming in, giving them opportunity to experience community with us as a staff, but then being able to take that um, into the area of South Africa, but then back to their homes all over the world. So, so how many are on staff there at that location? Um, we currently have nine people on staff. Okay, so nine on staff, and how many are involved in that local ministry? Like outside of the staff? Yeah. Um, Is there like volunteers and stuff that you're involved with? Yes, we have people who work with us locally on a regular basis. We have um, four women who are from the community, or one of the nearby communities where the after-school program is held. And so um, in one community, there's four women who are working with us on a regular basis, and then there's six women in another community that are helping out with the after-school programs on a regular basis. And, and then we have other partnerships with like churches and other organizations that we work with on occasion. So out of those nine people, how many different churches do they attend locally? Locally, we have two different churches. Okay. Interesting. Um, how is following Jesus different there in South Africa compared to here? Well, on a personal level, following Jesus there, like, it doesn't necessarily look a lot different other than, like, job-wise, um, but it's a lot of, I mean, when you're living in community, like, I live on the same property that I work on and live with the same people I work with, so, like, there's a lot more just, like, intentional community that just naturally happens, so that's a little bit, on a personal level, what it looks like to live um, as a Christian, I guess, and it's a little bit differently there just because 
that's kind of the natural flow of things. So but it would then. be like me and my wife living here with Bo and Jen and maybe Sean all and Mary. Maybe all living on the same block or maybe the houses right next to each Jason other and, and you Alanda. see each other on a daily basis 24-7. Yeah. Sean and Gina. <laughs> yeah. And then we like lived and worked together. Mm -hmm. Yes. And did life 24-7 together. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So... <laughs> So that's what, that's what they're doing. So we wonder why there's maybe a, some interpersonal mm -hmm. conflicts. Mm -hmm. Do you see them getting resolved? You see some of them where there's some, like, uh, some static and everything, mm -hmm. and then because you're together, you just have to work through those things. Absolutely. There's definitely a times, like, I mean, when you have especially different cultures, not even just different cultures, just different personalities, I'm very much a task-oriented person, and some of the people that I work closely with are very visionary and very um, more looking at the big picture. And so having to work through even just things like that, like personality differences in that you're having to learn to work together with people that don't necessarily work the same way you do, but at the same time, as you work past those differences and as you are willing to, like, be honest about things that maybe are hard or be honest, like, how those honest conversations with each other. Um, and as you work through those things, you're then able to work together and champion the things that are the positive qualities in other people and maybe things that you're lacking in um, so that you're then able to work together and to... Um, help each other in, this, there's, in other people's strong points and them helping you in the areas where you're weak so that you can then bring the kingdom to your area. Sounds kind of like your workplace, right? Sounds like your family, your extended family, right? We have all these things. doesn't really matter which continent we're on. We have these things. I, didn't, I don't think I, I got to this one. Well, I, what if I'm not a missionary? This is the last service I never got to this one. What if I'm not a missionary or Christian leader? but I'm just a normal person. So I'm not on some staff. I don't live on a compound. I'm not on a church staff. I don't lead a ministry. How can I live a kingdom life? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that really we're all just kind of normal people. <laughs> and But oftentimes, I mean, there's like the labels that we get as like a pastor or a missionary or um, Sunday school teacher or the Christian labels, but like, just remembering that really, like, we are all God's children, and that's, like, puts us all on the same playing field. Um, and one of my friends in South Africa, he um, says that, like, living kingdom life is just bringing Jesus with you wherever you go. And um, so I think that's just, like, a very simple, easy way to put it, like, an, for an easy way for me to remember that really living a kingdom life, no matter whether you're working in ministry or working as um, a teacher or um, in just other jobs that wouldn't necessarily be labeled as a maybe a spiritual job. It's really just about bringing Jesus with you wherever you go and um, bringing him into your workplace and um, realizing that those who have a spiritual label don't necessarily get the full version of the Holy Spirit and you just get the limited edition. Like we all have full access to God. We all have full access to his spirit. And that doesn't change whether or not we have a Christian or a spiritual job label. And so just remembering that it's really about just trusting or looking to God and remembering that you have full access to the Holy Spirit and that he is going to guide you just as much um, as he would someone who's a pastor or missionary. Or That's an awesome answer. Let's, I'm going to give you the last word and we'll end on that. 
Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. Rebecca's going to be out in the... She's going to be out in the lobby. You can visit with her. Um, she's going to be around for the month of October. Um, taking Jesus with you wherever you go. I really like that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we live in your kingdom. We are your kingdom. And our mission is to advance your kingdom. It's both who we are and what we do. God, thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family. Thank you for adopting us as children. That we can call you Father. And that even in the scriptures, Jesus, we're referred to as Jesus' siblings. He's our brother because you're our Father. So Lord, as we go this morning and into this week, Lord Jesus, you're our King. Help us to live under your rule and under your reign. Help us to take you with us. We, we can't not, Lord, you indwell us. And you indwell us by your Spirit, the one God, the triune God. So may we this week, Lord, not separate sacred from secular, but may we be the kingdom and be the body of Christ and love the way you love wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.